DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is the author of Hidden Mountain's Secret Garden, a theological contemplation of prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of Conversations with Dr. Lillis, we focus on Doctor of the Church, St. Teresa of Avila, and her great spiritual masterwork, The Interior Castle. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be with you. Love these times that we've had to reflect on the or interior castle by Teresa of Avila. It's, it's been very powerful. I was thinking before our time together this morning that it's like we're climbing the mountain and we're getting to the uh, the heights where you can begin to look back and and notice notice some of the horizons uh, that we pass through to get to this point. Teresa is a good guide, and in this particular passage, I think helps us begin to put together the whole, help us see everything that uh, has led up to, to now, and, and it's the horizons she shows us are beautiful. I have to tell you, Anthony, out of many of the wonderful chapters in the interior castle, they're all just diamonds. This one in particular, can I say it's my favorite? I, I I think I have to, because when I read it, I see Teresa at her most practical and yet with the greatest, like you said, the greatest vision. And it is such a chapter on discernment, mm. but a very earthy, very practical calling out of you know, what comes from above, but what is also driven by human nature. Mm. And she lovingly talks about it, but then as a good spiritual mama, she's like, snap out of it. You know, do you not see? Try to get a grip. And so for that, you get to hear Teresa, the counselor, don't you? Yeah, Uh, I I think, and she's kind of aware of different audiences she's writing to. She's aware she's writing for people who haven't come this far, and she wants to encourage them. She's aware of people who've begun to experience some of these things and maybe have gotten sucked into them in different ways. And, and she wants uh, to kind of be more, a, a little bit more discerning so that we don't get caught up into um, emotional highs and emotional movements, but we keep ourselves rooted in the fundamentals of our faith in serving our Lord. But at the same time, she doesn't belittle these experiences either. She sees something great and important in them. So it's, it really is a masterful chapter. And it's filled with joy. I, and that's the, the thing that it, as I'm reading it, even in those, those portions where she's trying to shed light on something that may not be of God, that we need to keep ourselves in check. It is the encouraging joy to continue, to continue to strive, to keep moving that, that, is so compelling about this particular chapter. Amen. I agree with you. It, 
And this is where the, the mountain climbing thing comes. I, many years ago, uh, me and one of the seminarians from St. John Vianney Seminary, he had actually just left the seminary and he was trying to discern what to do with his life. And so we, we took a climb. Uh, we climbed Long's Peak in Colorado. I wanted to climb Meeker because Meeker Peak is just a beautiful mountain. And I didn't realize that behind Meeker was Long's Peak, which, which from the base camp where I was at, you couldn't quite see Long's Peak from there. You have to be back quite a ways. And it, it's a much taller uh, mountain, but you can't see it. Anyway, so we spent the whole day, we left at like two o'clock in the morning, and we finally got to Meeker around 10 or 11 o'clock, and it was beautiful what we saw. And then I looked behind us, and there was Longs, and so we decided we'd do Longs. As we got to the top of it, I was exhausted, and I wanted to go back. And he was like, you know, but we're so close. And he kind of like encouraged me to climb beyond where I thought I could go. And so just like that seminarian did for me on Long's Peak, I think Teresa Avila is trying to do for us, her, her readers, and especially the sisters in her community, she's trying to get us to go that extra bit that we don't think we can go. We think it gets too far. And she's saying, no, it's not. You can do this. Keeps things in the note of optimism and hope as we progress in our union with God. But we're going to see that the progress she advocates is not a progress of my, uh, that's the result of my own spiritual industry. Rather, it's the kind of progress that you make by persevering in what's doing right and being open to the new things that Jesus wants to bring to birth in your heart. When we open this particular chapter, well, as she opens this particular chapter, She's talking about those sublime favors that leave the soul so desirous of fully enjoying him who has bestowed them that life becomes painful, though delicious torture, and death is ardently longed for. Wow. And especially as she goes deeper into the paragraphs and the descriptions that she has, you really feel you're experiencing something that Teresa herself, she's describing herself in this particular passage, isn't she? She is. In that way, this is a, a very powerful, the whole book has been written not out of kind of a theory to fit everything together in a system. She's put together this very kind of uh, elaborate journey to encourage us from her own experience, from the things that Jesus has done in her, this crystalline interior castle which is filled with light now we've drawn very very close we've already seen in this chapter that the difference between this stage and the next it's all part of the same whole the transition into the seventh mansion is it's like you're in the same room you just draw closer to the one who's called you from one side of the room to the other so obviously you're dealing with a soul who's in that seventh mansion and she's calling us to come closer to her and She's describing what happened to her as she drew closer. And one of the things that she's starting this out with is uh, something that might be, especially uh, thinkers kind of hesitated on this point and said, you know, what can this mean in the most Christian way? Uh, And so if we hear, boy, you get to this stage and you desire death, that can sound unhealthy if you understand it in the wrong way. 
what I would invite people who get to this point of the book are trying to understand Teresa of Avila's experience. I invite you to think about how much of your activity right now is driven by self-preservation. Self-preservation has been in us. It's a good thing. It's part of our nature. It's what helps protect us from danger. And so self-preservation is a very important thing if we're going to get through life. But it's not enough reunion with God. Furthermore, self-preservation, our instinct for self-preservation, has been wounded by sin. It's sown into our instinct for self-preservation is sown a fear of death because death is the ultimate threat to our self-preservation. And death, the relationship between our body and soul disintegrates. And our relationship, we probably have begun to notice that even our bodily powers as we get older seem to be falling apart around us. We don't see as well. We have different hurts and bruises and things and places ache where you didn't think they could ache. And that's part of getting older. Your body is falling apart. St. Augustine When he talked about this life, he called it a living death and a dying life. And our instinct of self-preservation, partly because of original sin, totally rebels against this. And there's a fear you start trying to fight against this. And and don't we see this in our culture? I mean, even before COVID, how many different products were on the commercial market to try to keep us young forever? to prevent our bodies from falling apart and us from aching and feeling pain as much as we did before. There's a whole industry that's geared towards helping people not age and their bodies not fall apart because you want to maintain the integrity of who you are. We found in our society, hold the body together and maybe your soul and body will stay together longer too, you know. But there's other kinds of things that go with death too. Death is also disintegrates our relationship with others and how many loved ones do we have who as they get older suffer from things like dementia and so forth they want to be present and everybody wants to be present to them but at the same time we're with them and they realize they themselves they're kind of suffering a lot and that it's becoming harder and harder to relate our instinct for self-preservation fights against that Uh, the whole covid how many of our policies public policies driven by a certain fear of death. Again, self-preservation right there. And I'm not saying that COVID isn't real. COVID is a very real threat and people really do die from this terrible disease. Uh, whenever we make decisions in our lives that are is fundamentally rooted in fear, fundamentally rooted the desire to preserve ourselves from falling apart, and from death, that decision, if we're not careful, can cause us to act against our faith. By nature, we have fear of death because our nature has been subject to sin. But by grace, we have audacity. By grace, we begin to see possibilities that we couldn't see before. By grace, uh, when we believe in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, grace is unleashed in our lives that makes it possible even as our bodies are falling apart and our minds aren't functioning as well as they used to, even as all of these things are going on, we have the courage, the audacity, the deep down desire to love anyway, 
And that love, insofar as it takes over our hearts, can become more powerful than our instinct of self-preservation. Death, with such love, is transformed not so much as something that's nihilistic, but death can become my great self-offering to God. Death can become my final great sacrifice of love for him, my great offering and prayer for those I love, that they might flourish and be blessed. And when you start looking at death, not as the most dangerous thing that could possibly happen to you, but instead as a powerful grace that God has entrusted to you, that if you offer it to him well, with love, you will realize the finest moment of your whole life. It will be its culminating moment. You will offer something beautiful and acceptable unto the Lord. All of a sudden, you're not afraid of death anymore. You desire to make that offering of yourself. And so she starts this chapter with this kind of bold proclamation about the desire to lay down your life and that it has become so strong, so powerful, that it overcomes our instinct of self-preservation, overcomes our fear of death, and it allows us to act with an audacity that the world has never seen before. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. St. Teresa speaks to us today, saying, Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. O God, who through your Spirit raised up St. Teresa of Jesus to show the Church the way to seek perfection, grant that we may always be nourished by the food of her heavenly teaching and fired with longing for true holiness. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. St. Teresa, pray for us. That we may become worthy of the promises of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, 
and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. She's so real, Anthony, in that second paragraph where she talks about how once you are free, because that's true freedom, what you're speaking about, that it is the opposite of, of fear is faith. You're so in that relationship that the soul feels confidence. And yet she will say the little soul is greatly troubled that she's being deceived. Mm. And she has to discern, essentially. This is where the discernment comes in, because she will have a confessor, her spiritual director, maybe telling her, let all that go, or giving her advice that goes counter to what she's experiencing. Or she may be concerned because those in the world that she may even trust greatly are looking at her strangely. And so she's having to deal with all those different things that are surrounding her from without, not necessarily what's occurring within. Am I reading that particular section correctly? Sure. The the image that she hearkens and that she kind of develops is the image of the butterfly. Remember, the butterfly was in the cocoon being transformed, and now it's breaking out of the cocoon, it wants to, it wants to fly, going with this kind of new audacity, this new attitude towards death by which it's not seen as something dangerous or a threat anymore, but as an incredible opportunity. This grace is lavished upon us. The prayer that goes with it is what she calls rapture. And rapture is when you're caught up, when you're in prayer, and you're caught up outside of yourself. You're no longer aware of yourself at all. It's like your spirit is flying beyond yourself. There are spiritual directors, unfortunately, when this begins to happen, they're afraid of this kind of prayer, this kind of freedom in prayer, uh, where you're you're completely caught up in something uh, above and beyond yourself. The reason why they're afraid is because it's not a prayer form that they're aware of. And, and frankly, the, the soul that's this in love with the Lord, it looks a little bit crazy. They don't really quite know what to do with it. It's so outside the, the norm. It's outside uh, 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 what we would consider normative behavior that, that they, they can't understand it. So they, they want to prevent this kind of love from seizing the soul. They want to distract the soul. They want it. And this soul wants to be obedient to its spiritual director because it's found in obedience, the only consolation that it really gets in prayer, the only relief it gets. And now this spiritual director who up until now has been so helpful, isn't being very helpful. And so that the soul suffers being misunderstood. It's 
uh, it's ready to break out in flight. In fact, it is breaking out in flight. And it, um, in the very midst of breaking out with this new kind of freedom, it is less understood by the world. There is, that goes along with this incredible sorrow and incredible jubilation all at the same time as part of this great experience. Well, and for the, the contemporary ear, many may feel that, well, that describes what I saw at a charismatic prayer group, or I've seen it in others, or maybe I've even felt it myself. But it's not necessarily confined, is it, Anthony, to something that could be explained as a charismatic experience. I'm not trying to be dismissive of that experience. I'm just trying to put it in some type of richer context. Does that make sense? Sure. This was the charismatic experience in prayer. Can it approach what she's describing in this mansion? I remember being at Franciscan University at Steubenville and Father Michael Scanlon making this very connection that, that sometimes it can be this. Why God would favor young college students who have ha- hardly any life experience with some of the things that she's describing in this particular chapter. They haven't done anything to merit it and God just lavishes it upon them. And they already begin to experience some deep transformation of soul that would be uncommon. Why would God permit that to happen? And Father Michael was unable to give a sufficient answer. He just said, the Holy Spirit kind of blows where he will. And so sometimes when a soul that is more what I would consider at the beginning of their spiritual life has experiences that touch what we hear described in this mansion, I'm not particularly alarmed by it. I don't really discount it. The Holy Spirit can provide movements of heart that are like this and do something very beautiful in that soul. But at the same time, though, uh, what Teresa of Avila is explaining is not simply an emotional state that you can work yourself up into. And so this gets to another problem that sometimes you see in the renewal, but I I think you see it in, in a lot of people's approach to the spiritual life. They think they understand the goal to where they're supposed to be and the experiences that go with that goal. And so they try to will to self-generate them. They try to will to self-generate the gift of tears, uh, the incredible sorrow at not being able to see the face of Christ right now, uh, the incredible sorrow that uh, a soul that longs to offer its life uh, as a, as a, uh, in sacrifice the supreme moment of death, longs to make that offering to the Lord so that they could at last see his face that's more of a, a gift from God that is given than something that you generate by willing it yourself. And insofar as you try to stir that up yourself, uh, self-generate that kind of emotional energy, you can become very subject to irrational spirits, uh, irrational movements that are not healthy for the soul. It's better to simply be surrendered to the Lord in his presence persevering in doing what is right, persevering in loving those that he's entrusted to us, persevering in our devotion to him and our discipline of prayer. You do those things, and then 
he will touch your heart in different ways. And uh, the gift of tears that comes with yearning to see his face will be given to you in that context. You won't be able to do anything to self-generate it. You won't be able to do anything to stop it. It will just kind of wash over you. The raptures will just kind of seize your soul. And whether for a moment or, or for a longer period of time, uh, you don't self-generate those, that state of, of soul. It just is a gift that's given to you to support you as you make your journey towards him. But if you try to self-generate a rapturous state of consciousness, you try to self-generate the gift of tears, you can actually do harm to yourself. You're not respecting your own humanity and you're not respecting the way the Holy Spirit wants to work in your heart. The Holy Spirit will give you the gifts he wants to give you when he wants to give them to you and how he wants to give them to you. But And that's never on your own terms or your own t- timetable or the result of your own psychic activity. So it, not to put God in a box, it can occur in a large group setting. It just may. It probably, as she is describing it, more often than not, will happen in a way that you least expect. It it can happen at various moments that surprise and delight and might even, I don't want to say frighten, because that's not necessarily the the fruit of that that spirit, but it's something that we just have to be open to and not presume to require or to want. Am I phrasing this properly? Because I'm trying to be really reverent and very careful and all due respect to the experience that many people have. And it can be very confusing, not just the charismatic experience, but for beginners, I mean, we in the spiritual light, which we all are, <laughs> really, quite honestly, when we look at all eternity. But do you see the sensible and yet open view that we might have on this? Well, I think the goal, the thing to ask for more than emotional experiences is to ask for the Lord freedom of heart to be able to receive whatever gift he wants to give you. So whether somebody has a more charismatic spirituality or somebody is drawn to a more Franciscan kind of spirituality or or Benedictine Lexio Divina, if you have the heart of a child who is open to whatever gift that the Lord wants to give you in prayer and happy to receive it, then you remove obstacles from the Lord. What prevents the Lord from giving the gifts he wants to give us is our own self willfulness (laughs) But when you're completely open to him, then you set aside your self willfulness and wanting things on your own terms then you have the interior freedom to receive what he wants to give you. I mean, at the end of this chapter, Teresa of Avila talks about the incredible freedom that saints have in terms of what God wants to lavish on. She talks about St. Francis of Assisi, St. Peter of Alcantara, and she talks about her own sisters and the freedom in how St. Francis, when he was left beat up by robbers on the side of the path, that's when he had the greatest jubilation, the joy of being the most Christ-like was given. Why was St. Francis able to find joy in that? Because he looked at being beat up by robbers 
has a gift from God. And I'm saying these words, I mean, I'm guilty of my own mediocrity in a thousand different ways. I, somebody looks at me wrongly and I'm, I'm all offended and upset. I don't see that as a gift from God. Well, do you see, that's my me blocking God from giving the gift of joy that he wants me to receive. The joy in the sixth mansion is a joy that, that Jesus offers all of us. What blocks us from being able to receive the jubilation that you joy, jubilation is a joy that's so intense you have to express it. St. Francis had to express out loud with his mouth, proclaim out loud to his brothers how the joy he had because he was beat up and left dead by robbers. He, he saw in that Jesus has bestowing on him the great grace of being made like unto him. I don't have the in, inner freedom that I ought to have to receive such a grace, but I can certainly ask for it. Lord, give me that kind of freedom so that when something bad happens to me, I can rejoice in you. Peter Valcantara, I mean, the poor guy lived a life of selfless service, spending most evenings nights in vigil prayer, hardly sleeping at all, working with the poor, working with souls that were confused. He just wasted himself in love on souls and, um, uh, and wasted himself in love and devotion to the Lord. And, and you know, what was, the, what was his reward? Everybody thought he was nuts. Uh, Teresa Al said, mm-hmm. everybody thought he was mad, um, crazy. And Peter Van Kenra, instead of you know, being indignant about that and feeling like he needed to defend his reputation. Instead, he he rejoiced in it. He was filled with jubilation over that. He rejoiced over being misunderstood. That's freedom. His freedom allowed him to receive persecution as a gift and to find the joy of the Lord in the midst of it. And then Teresa of Avila talks about her own sisters, that she's seen the same freedom of spirit in them. This freedom of spirit, this kind of joy, this is what she's talking about, the butterfly flying, breaking out and flying right now. This is the prayer of rapture goes in the same direction. Nothing can hold you back anymore. You're persecuted and you still see the love of God. Sorrow over the fact that you can't yet see God's face. You're not depressed and and dejected about this sorrow brings you kind of peace that it's a sorrow that's filled with the hope that one day God's going to bring to completion the work that he started in you. And he's not going to allow your desire to be frustrated forever. But so you can entrust that to him. And, and so there's a beautiful freedom of spirit that comes with this holy sorrow. Uh, the, the tears, you don't have to self-generate the tears. She, she actually harkens back here to the, an image she developed in her very first spiritual work in her, her work, La Vita. She talks about the four waters in the very beginning of the spiritual life. You have to pull the water out of the well with a bucket, and it's a lot of hard work. And she's talking about that's an analogy for you, you, you need a certain devotion of heart. You need uh, a certain kind of tears of devotion. The way you do this in the very beginning of your spiritual life is you do it through the hard work of meditating on your own life and the life of Jesus and trying to ponder what God is doing in you what he's done through Jesus Christ. And this evokes a certain kind of tear. And Teresa Avila is saying to, to souls that are at this stage of the game, self-generate those tears at this stage of the game isn't going to be healthy for you. It's not going to help you at all. Right now, you need to be more surrendered, more free before the Lord. Let the Lord show you what he wants to show you. And if, 
if he wants you to remain dry and and not see anything that stirs your tears, then praise him for that too. If he wants you to be misunderstood and beat up by robbers, praise him for that. Let yourself be filled with that jubilation where you give praise to him. If he does show you how heart-rending beautiful his face is and stirs your heart up for him, the way you'll recognize it, that it's genuinely the Lord and not some other spirit that's stirring you, either self-generated from your own human spirit or demonically, is that you'll notice there's peace. And why is the peace is important? Because what the biggest thing that you should be after is an experience. The biggest thing you should be after is how can I give myself, spin myself for my brothers and sisters that the Lord has given me now? How can I give myself, spin myself in devotion to the Lord, free over what he wants to give me and the way he wants to give it to me? rather than trying to calculate with the Lord what I should be or shouldn't be experiencing. And so, so these are the things, whatever somebody's spirituality is, this inner freedom that allows us to be filled with this peaceful, holy sorrow, which gives praise to God and makes us soft-hearted in his presence, or, or else this very powerful uh, jubilation that is able to rejoice even in severe persecution, whatever way it goes, that freedom of heart, that kind of rapture that allows us to be totally caught up in the things of God and not really so concerned about ourselves anymore, that's what she's talking about in this mansion. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. There, too, you will find an audio version of The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila, the masterwork in which this series has been based. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.